0: To Bound by Books. I'm Mary Ann Morea. I write urban fantasy, paranormal romance, and paranormal romantic suspense and all of the things that go bump in the night that make us shiver and shake and love <laughs> to love. And today I am joined by Hi, I'm Sci-Fi Romance author
1: Tina Moss. I write all about alien pickles. <laughs> <laughs> today... We have our very specific brands. Yes. <laughs>
0: Today uh, we are discussing writing myths. And oh, I'm the,
1: excited about this one.
0: Yeah, me too. The ones that we've all fallen prey for, uh, to over the years and uh, the you musts of writing <laughs> that are myths because we all just kind of trip over those roots uh, from time to time and need to pick ourselves up from the dry leaves and dust ourselves off and continue on our path. So exactly. I'm going to hand it over to Tina and let her kick it off. And um, awesome. Here we go.
1: So before we dive into our top 10, let me ask you, what are you working on right now, Marianne? Is there any projects in the works?
0: Uh, No, right now I'm a little bit on hiatus Uh, from, you know, I am in the process of um doing deep dives into existing works and how to uh, either edit them or rebrand them or um, making sure that the genres are correct. And, you know, Tina, you are going to be helping me with that. And uh, anybody who's watching this on YouTube, if I move my head and you happen to see a foot show up, (laughs) It's because I have, I have a graphic there. I'm not, I'm, it's not, I don't have a foot growing out of my head. It's just a graphic. So it's a
1: really pretty graphic though. So if you're listening on another platform, you have to come over and give us a watch on YouTube. Marianne also yeah. has her beautiful cover besides the, the lady with the, with the feet. So,
0: yeah, so it's, a woman, it's a woman laying down reading her book on her Kindle and her feet are up on the wall. And it just so happens that her foot sticks up over my head. So <laughs> anyway, I like
1: that background though. It's it's really great. Yeah. yeah, I took a little bit of a hiatus too. I wasn't originally planning on it. I was planning on having um Aliens Hope out by now, but life kind of got in the way, so I decided to go ahead and release um a novella that I had in a charity anthology that's actually going to be the prequel and kind of the launch to my next sci-fi series. They're all interconnected. Um but I was originally going to release this one later but because i couldn't get aliens hope out i decided to release aliens getaway so that'll come out um probably in about a week or so and i'm gonna give it away free it's already free from my patrons because they get early access but i'm gonna give it to my author group and my newsletter so just a, a subtle plug if you'd like to get a, a free novella you can come on over to the for that
0: so that sounds amazing
1: yeah it's fun all right That's out of the way. Let's dive on into these top (laughs) 10 writing myths. So the first one, which ironically enough, we're talking about during NaNoWriMo, I find a little amusing is you must write every day. Marianne, as a published author, must you write every day?
0: (laughs) I used to think that, and I used to chastise myself for it. Um, And then I reached the dreaded block. And there oh. are some authors out there who say, Myers block doesn't exist. You know, it's a money, <laughs> you know, it's a job. You can't just have a block from your job. Well, you you're know jumping we, ahead.
1: You're jumping ahead. That's later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, and the dreaded burnout when you mm-hmm. write every day, you know, when you say you have to write every day, yeah, I can, you know, write down your thoughts or if you have an, a couple of ideas so you don't lose them because we've talked in the past. You know that you could just kind of jot down those those little notions and inspirations that hit you is fine, but actually having to sit and grind every day like you have Mm -hmm. to write 3000 5000 10,000 words a day. I don't believe that because if you hold your feet to the fire for that on days that when life is just throwing curveballs, you know, you will reach burnout and you'll, you know, and eventually you will start to resent your craft. And nobody wants to do that is to resent your craft. So, you know, I I don't believe that anymore. I believe that, yes, you have to write. Yes, you have to do your job, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, you know, if you're not productive, you're not going to you're not going to put books out. You're not going to make money. You're not going to satisfy your readers and readers are fickle. You know, they'll move on to the next thing, the next author, because they're not going to wait around for you. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, they may be happy when you put something back out. But but, you know, at that point in time, you're not the hot new thing. You know, so, you know, it's somewhere between treadmill, you know, or, or, or better yet hamster wheel (laughs) and writing when the spirit moves you somewhere, if you you find somewhere in between, you'll be good. So at least that's my opinion.
1: Writing everyday thing is kind of, it depends, right? I think it's good to develop a daily habit. Right. Yes. I think that if you've never written before or you're, you know, you're not a professional writer, you're just kind of beginning this journey. I think it can be a motivation to get you into a good habit. But I think if you take it too far, like for me, for example, I use this all the time. I have learned over a decade now that I am not a right everyday person. I am a binge writer. I, I never would have believed it. But if I looked back on my old patterns, and really did like an analysis on it, I would have realized that I am a binge writer. There are seasons where I write and there are seasons where I don't. Yes. Um, And also, I think it's important to remember that a lot of what you do that you're not putting on the page is also part of the creative writing process. Brainstorming, you know, taking a walk and thinking about your characters or your plot, kind of like internally doing those things without necessarily putting stuff on the page it's great if you can but there's all of these things kind of behind the scenes that can happen that is not necessarily you know put putting the words down so i think all of that is
0: part of the process i think it's i think that's very true and i think you and i both know that if if you don't court that in your Mm -hmm. life and when i mean court i mean actually invite those those moments of inspiration and court the muse is basically mm-hmm. what I was talking about, because going for those walks or, or, you know, sit standing in the shower and closing your eyes and just letting the, the sound of the water roar on the tile around you, you know, that that helps put you in that kind of creative channel, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just, you know, it's just you and no one else. And that that roar of that water is yeah. uh, it's almost like uh, it's it's it, it puts you trance like at least it does for me, where it just everything just just kind of um, uh, speaks to 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 the the, the creative process. Right. Um, if you don't do that, um, then you're going to be sitting in front of your laptop with your hands on your keyboard, just staring at a blinking cursor with nothing yeah. to write. And it's important that you have to you have to make time for that process. And when I said before that, you know, jotting down, you know, writing every day, jotting down ideas or inspiration, and everything that kind of speaks to what you were just talking about, that mm-hmm. that walk and that that time to just let ideas sprout, let, let ideas yeah. kind of grow. And, and, it's, and it's like
1: decompressive. It's kind of like a like you said, like a meditative thing where you just yes. like. Or letting yes. your brain just kind of uh, play loosely. Think about these things yeah. and play. That's a great yeah. word. We don't use yeah. that enough. <laughs> letting your
0: brain play, because I think awesome. when you're a creative, whether it's writing or music or acting or, um, you know, Art. any, any mm-hmm. kind of the arts, you know, or the, the fine arts or what have you. You do you, your brain needs to play because if it doesn't play, it'll stagnate
1: that's that's great advice so let's move on to number two because this one it took a took me a long time to learn yeah. your writing needs to be perfect
0: yeah. that <laughs> that was me blowing a raspberry for people who were just just listening in it I hate not, that
1: word I yeah. hate the word perfect oh my god what a what a complete um just disaster to any creative endeavor this idea of perfection yeah I I I lived my life for way too long being a perfectionist and it stunted my growth. It, it stunted my abilities as a writer. It made me second guess myself. It gave me imposter syndrome to the extreme. I I would over edit to the point where I had like double digits of drafts of a book and, you know, would never want to publish it. It was awful. It was the absolute worst. So now my, my mantra is I strive to be done.
0: (laughs) Well, you and I are the ones who have who are are, uh, the bastions of the hostage deadline. So being perfect sometimes is um, I think it's I think it's it's the bane of the creative process because we all, we all want it. We all want Mm. our words to just hit that tone and to hit that, the heart of our readers and so forth, but at the same time, be a hundred percent grammatically correct with absolutely no typos whatsoever and no missed commas and, you know, and, and no missed words and so forth. But, you know, there's, there's a difference, you know, you can have your words be perfect, but at the same time, um, not be you impactful, not be impactful, or at mm-hmm. at the same time um, taking too long to to worry about the minutiae that you lose the thread of the story, yeah, you know? and the story kind of just gets in that messy middle and just dies, you know I've, and
1: I've reached the point now too where <sighs> I've kind of made it like an interactive experience with my readers and that like, yes, I want it to be as polished as, as I can get it, Yeah, but I also want to get it out. I want it to be in the hands of readers. So at the end of all of my books, I, I kind of give a, like a little message to my readers saying, Hey. Like, grammar gremlins could have gone through this book. If you spot any, you know, email me and let me know. And some of them that they spotted have been absolutely hilarious. Like, yeah. we've gotten a good laugh over it, and they and they help make my books better. But it's almost, it's, it's taken me from this perspective of, like, I need to have this perfect thing that I have bequeathed upon the reader to, no, I'm human, and readers are allowed to know that, and we can have a fun interaction for, you know, right. a mistake in a book.
0: Right. I mean, if you think about it, there are so many other ones, uh, Sherry and I, you know, our other hosts have touched on it, like, you know, not using L Y adverbs, you know, and, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's lazy writing, you know, and the, you know, gerund forms like, you know, was, was running, was, you know, that, you know, was running, was playing, was kissing, you know, that type of thing, um, that it's lazy writing and, you know, you have to understand that there are mechanics of writing that you need to, Mm -hmm. you need to hone. But at the same time, you open up a book from any of, of the, you know, the top New York times bestselling fiction authors, and you're going to find out why adverbs you're going to find,
1: you know, it's, it's uh, so silly of,
0: of, of, of of verbs, you know, it's just
1: this idea that we can't use parts of the English language. Like it's, it's there words, you know, matter. We can use them in in correct ways and not, Everything has to be, you know, purple prose or flowery language. Sometimes you were just running. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> that was it. Yeah,
0: yeah, so, yes. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's a, uh, you know, there's fresh writing and there's uh, there's get the job done writing, which are are terms I learned from Margie Lawson, and I absolutely love, I love that, that woman as a as a as a mentor. Um, so and it, it's it's you have to just make sure that your writing is not amateurish mm-hmm. and, and professional, but at the same time, and, and you, um, when ne- neither Tina nor I are advocating, to, you know, not editing your book, you have no. to have your book edited. You have to have your book proofread, but at the yes. same time, you cannot tie yourself up in knots. If all of a sudden you, after the book is out, you find a typo. And I have to say, that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about being an indie author is that if you do find something or somebody brings something to your attention, you can change it. You know, it's not something that, you know, but then if you're a trad pub author and somebody finds something, it's not on you, it's on them. So, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to be the one who's going to be excoriated online by the by the grammar Nazis, you know, and the typo Nazis. But at the same time, you know. It's uh, it's not something that you should beat yourself up about if it's if exactly there's, if there's two if there's just a few. Just a exactly. few. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You don't uh, you don't want your whole book littered with them. You still no, want to have it. no 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 there has to be to a, a good
0: book. It's like anything in life. There has to be a healthy balance. Nice. <laughs> so all right. Number three.
1: I I kind of this one might be a little controversial.
0: Oh all
1: writing must be original. This okay. is
0: tricky. This is a tricky one. Yes, it is. Because yes, definitely- and also no. <laughs> okay. We need to qualify this. Yes. Okay. Because we are in no way, shape or form. Advocating, advocating. Plagiar- plagiarism. Exactly. Exactly. Okay? You do not take somebody else's book. And just because the hero was driving a blue truck, make right. it a red truck and think that, oh, now it's mine. No, you don't do that. All right. you don't right. change the names in a story and think, okay, now it's mine. No, you don't do that. What Tina and I are alluding to is that like a perfect example for me being a paranormal author, okay, I do write vampires, okay? Mm-hmm. There is vampire mythology, all right? And there have been hundreds and if not thousands of different takes on vampire mythology. Probably it's, hundreds of thousands. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, so what, you, what we're saying is that ideas, there are the hundred. I mean, think about how many romances. All right. Mm-hmm. We're coming into the holiday season. Think about Hallmark movies. Okay. The Christmas movies. Okay. Think about how many of them have been reiterated and done mm-hmm. again. And just with the, with, with slightly different twists and so forth. You know, right. I think maybe instead of all writing being original is all themes are not exactly original right so
1: I would say that this is not a myth in the sense all writing must be original yes it must be in your voice your words from your brain right right. but on the on the flip side of that there is common themes tropes genre expectations, retellings of of previously like um, public domain stories, like let's say Beauty and the Beast, for example, is a perfect one, right? How many times has that been retold? Or uh, Persephone and Hades is very hot right now. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Yeah. So things, as long as it's in public domain, you can do a retelling. And you may have um, situations where you have authors that you love and you are influenced by them. But as long as you are not copying them right? right you that's that's the difference it's inspiration versus plagiarism it's right. your voice and your words versus taking somebody else's and and changing a few things around like that's right. not okay so right yes original original voice original style original words but also you can have themes tropes genre expectations etc
0: that are right. the same and that's exactly what we're talking about is the themes yeah. that there are there are, there are a hundred different variations and I'm using hundred in a loose terminology, (laughs) variations on theme, you know, and, you know, and you, as long as you make it your own, no one can turn around and say to you vampires being, you know, incinerated by sunlight. Oh, how unoriginal. (laughs) Well, how dare you steal that? Yeah. Yeah. How dare you (laughs) steal that from Bram Stoker? You know what I mean? No, (laughs) it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, there are certain, Certain rules to mythology that you keep, you know, and then, but if you don't want to, you don't have to. I mean, look at, look at Stephanie Meyer. I mean, hers didn't explode in sunlight. They just, they sparkled. So that was a different take. Original, original twist on a tried and true theme. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with the fact that the trope in that in that series was it was a love triangle. How many love mm-hmm. triangles have there been? How many second chance romances have there been? So yeah. that's what we're saying. All writing must be original. I think it, yeah. it has to be your take on an and a tried on a tried and true theme, tried and true trope and tried and true mythology.
1: Exactly right. OK, number four. And you were getting oh. into this a little bit before. So this oh my God. That, be that last one. one just made me sweat a little bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it's been hot too. Um, November. It's been so warm. But okay, number four, writer's block isn't real.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna blow another raspberry at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm actually gonna have a different spin on this, so I'm gonna let you go first.
0: Okay. So I actually, writer's block
1: isn't real. What do you
0: think? I I had a uh, couple of uh, very um, well healed authors at an at an event tell me that it wasn't real that writer's block isn't real because writer's block is a job and you know, writer writing is a job and that you have to do your job to get paid and that it's just an excuse. Well, no, I mean, unless you are writing formulaic where you just kind of, you know, drag and drop plug in, you know, you know, in the same, same formula of the story, Mm -hmm. maybe that's true for you. But Mm -hmm. if most people I know, most authors, I know if you have, been on the hamster wheel, like I have put myself on the hamster wheel. Now I need to take a little, you know, take a little bit of a step back. Um, you, you, you can get blo- you can get blocked. You can mm-hmm. Life throws curveballs at you. Um, we all, you know, we all sometimes get sick in body. Sometimes we get we 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 get fatigued in mind. And mm-hmm. you know, and writer's block happens. At least I think it does. And sometimes it's having to look yourself in the mirror and say. I'm tired of this genre. It's yeah. time for me to, to change lanes. It's mm-hmm. time for me to to give my my brain palette a cleanse. You know, right. To, or this know.
1: book or this project isn't working mm-hmm. right.
0: Or, you for know, sure. maybe it's time to put it on the back burner and do something else, you know, yeah. work on something else. Now, you what's your take? So
1: I'm going to put a caveat on this. I absolutely think writer's block is real. But I would say we use this as like a colloquial term for a umbrella of things, they could be creative burnout. It could be depression. Mm -hmm. It could be anxiety. It can be imposter syndrome. It can be things that are happening in your life that you don't even fully realize that are affecting your writing. So it's, it's not so much that I don't believe writer's block isn't real. I absolutely do. I believe that the idea of writer's block as a single concept is not real, and I think it's really important to get to the root of what's causing the block for you to be able to get out of it and make sure that, again, I'm a big advocate for mental health to make sure that you're doing all the things that you need to do to make sure that your mental health is in a, is in a good
0: space. Right, um, and, I, and I I agree with that one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, because it's and I think that's where people get tripped up and it's like, oh, Ritter's Block isn't a real thing. Absolutely it is. It's just this umbrella of various things that it could be. So in in order to get out of it, make sure that you're identifying more specifically
0: what's causing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, part of part of the hiatus that I'm on right now is because I am um, I'm I'm kind of in a little bit of a dark place with my Mm -hmm. writing and with a lot of other things in life. And I am uh, struggling a little bit with um, purposefulness, you know, Mm. um, and motivation and where I am at my, at at this time in my life. And uh, so it's, it's half the battle is to be cognizant of the fact that something is wrong. the other half of the Mm -hmm. other half of that, of that is to then, after you acknowledge that there's something wrong is then to, to, Figure out a way to fix it. Don't just let it mire you. You know, people, Absolutely. people end up, you know, they're, they're mired and then they just become stuck and then become stagnant. And then before, you know, before long, it's like you feel like you're in this this giant hole that you can't get out of. And if you suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome, you know, because all of us do it from time to time, sure. you know, you're you you you're like, oh, my God, why, you know, can I really do this? Um If you let yourself be mired, that imposter syndrome just grabs you by the throat and pulls you down even further, Mm -hmm. because then it's harder for you to get out of. So if you are feeling any of those things that Tina has mentioned, you know, you know, pat yourself on the back for acknowledging it and Mm -hmm. then take the next step and talk to somebody, because that's what I, you know, that's, you know, know, not everybody is just, you know, happy go lucky all the time. If people say that they're lying.
1: In fact, I don't know anybody who is. I think, you know, we all go through, through dark spots, through dark moments in our life Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're acknowledging that. And we're not just, you know, blaming our writer's block on like, oh, well, I'm just blocked. And you might be, it might just be a thing with the story that's not working, but make sure you're identifying exactly what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. Um, Yeah. It's important. And and that's all I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> all right.
0: Number five, <laughs> reading a lot. And I think we're going to
1: have some opinions on this too. Reading a lot will make you a better writer.
0: I say yes. <laughs> I think it's important to keep yourself fresh. Um, I think it's important that you need to read, especially uh, all different types of of, uh, of literature. I have two books on my, on my nightstand right now. I have the original Pride and Prejudice. And I also have Strangely Beautiful by Liana Renee Heber, who is an author friend of mine. So one is one is uh, like PG rated Gothic, you know, uh, mystery. And the other one is Regency, you know, <laughs> classic literature. And, you know, I, and it's it's reading, reading Pride and Prejudice. I have to read it with a dictionary. You would think being a writer that my vocabulary would be so expansive, but mm-hmm. I'm I have to read it with a dictionary because no matter how many times I've seen the movie and how many times I've got perused, I want to qualify that perused Pride and Prejudice because <laughs> it is mind numbing sometimes with the way that they write back in the day. So, but yes, I agree. I think uh, well, I agree. The, my opinion is that you need to read because yeah. it, if anything, to keep your vocabulary fresh. Mm-hmm.
1: So here I go again. I'm going to have another caveat. Ready? So little story. (laughs) uh, In my 20s, I was a martial artist for about 10 years. And my karate instructor had a saying. And he used to say, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And I think this can be applied to a lot of different things. So if you are reading purely for pleasure, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. I do it all the time. um, You are going to become a better reader. You're not necessarily going to become a better writer because like you just said, you read Pride and Prejudice with a dictionary. Why? Because you are critically thinking about Pride and Prejudice. You're wanting to understand it more. So if you are reading with the idea in mind of becoming a better writer or to figure out how books are constructed or to deconstruct works, things like that, then I think it can help you in writing. Certainly when I, Jumped into sci-fi romance. I, you know, I tell the story all the time. I read over like 150 sci-fi romance books before I ever put pen to paper in this genre. Why? because I wanted to understand the constructs of the genre. I wanted to know ex- reader expectations, the different varieties of it. I really wanted to do a deep dive into the genre and I absolutely enjoyed every minute of it, but I was also reading critically. Yeah, so I purposeful think that's, reading. Yeah. Purposeful reading. Exactly. So I think that's the difference there. I think, I think any reading is fantastic, right? It's, it's always going to make you better it's going to open you know your points of view expand your mind all of those things but I th- think if you're doing it specifically to be a better writer it's got to be critically done
0: I agree I I, <laughs> I I can't I can't argue with that I can't argue with that at all because when I when when I see that you know reading makes you a better writer you're right it's not just for it's not just for enjoyment you know it's and and it would be so
1: nice if it was I know <laughs>
0: I know. So I mean, it's here. not like it's through osmosis either, because if you get lost in the story and you're forgetting about tracking the beats, you know, mm-hmm. then you have to kind of go back and be, OK, what did I read? I, mean, I know what I just read and I loved it. But now I got to go back and figure out why I love right. it. Right? How did, did they do this? How did the right. writer get me? There? Right. Yeah. So exactly. and it's funny because I was a martial artist, too, for 10 years.
1: Yep. I have my se-
0: I have my first and second degree black belt. So. I was going to
1: say you're higher ranked than me, though. You so technically you're my senpai. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am. I am. I am. Right, I actually ready for number six. I oh, am. Wait, tell me.
1: Tell me. Tell you. No, story. no. Go ahead.
0: It's fine. It's no big deal.
1: <laughs> number six. Then this ties into what we were talking about. Real writers find writing
0: easy. Oh God. there's <laughs> <laughs> no caveats here. I, this is just pure myth. <laughs> it's called work for a reason. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, I hope. I hope. It's tough to write. I, so right,
0: I go. So. <laughs> no. When, when it's
1: flowing, it can be enjoyable and fun and great. But man, when it's not, it
0: is not easy. <laughs> no, man. No. no There's no, nothing no. easy about it. Why do you think we all do the happy dance when we write the words the end? <laughs> it's like, the end, the end. And then the next day we stand at our, and we look at our blinking cursors going, okay, what do I do now? So. Right.
1: i think like any any kind of um ability or skill there can be some natural ability there like you think of an athlete uh you know who's built for a certain sport i think you you can have an inclination for you like when people talk about being very young and starting writing or like you know winning awards in kindergarten kind of a thing like yes there can be some innate ability but I don't think it's easy for anybody and I think the same would be said for any profession nobody's going to just naturally you don't wake up and become a doctor you know what I mean no
0: I mean it's <laughs> the way I look at it is there's a difference between the word easy and the word fun okay mm. so is writing for writers is writing fun it it it's yeah Sometimes. it is <laughs> well though, because think about it if you didn't write for a living Mm -hmm. Would you still write? Most of us would say, yeah, most of us would be like, you know, you'd have stories, whether they were stories that you told or stories that just kind of occupied your mind, you know, while you were, while you were, you know, just kind of daydreaming, you know, laying by the pool or, Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, you know, you know, sitting laying down trying to take a nap, you know, they kind of they kind of spin in your head, there's nothing that was is going to stop the creative mind from being creative there it mm-hmm. just isn't it's it's the way we're hardwired and when we're writing and like you said when the when the words are really flowing it is fun it's mm-hmm. fun um but when we hit that messy middle when when we're when we're we're struggling with a conflict or you know and i don't mean a conflict with you know that gets in the way of writing i'm talking about conflicts in the book emotional like and yeah. emotional conflicts mental you know mental conflicts and physical You know, external conflicts for our characters, it can be very, it can be very uh, difficult to work Mm -hmm. that out. You know, how many times have you seen on online somebody say, you know, how, you know, I just exhaled because I figured out a plot point, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's like, you know, we, we hold our breath when I'm writing the same way we want our readers to hold their breath when they're, when they're, when they're reading our books. So yeah, fun does not equate to easy. Exactly. but at the same time it is we wouldn't do it if we didn't enjoy the work agree
1: <laughs> all right number seven and i decided to combine these two because i thought they were hilarious one side one myth writers are poor and the other side
0: writers are rich <laughs> well <laughs> if- You've ever heard of the the term the 1%? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. It's to the writer's world. And also it has to it also really is how do you qualify rich? How That's do you qualify a, poor?
1: That you know? is a great point. If if we're talking purely in a monetary sense um Stephen King, Nora Roberts, yes, they they are with James Patterson, they are rich, right? And if we're looking <laughs> at somebody who's living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to make it in this world, yes, that's on on the poor side. But that's purely financial perspective. I would say, you know, from from every other thing that matters in this world, uh writers Writers are always rich in that sense, right, because we're putting out our stories and we're doing something we love. From a very practical sense, um, there's there's not a, a, a great percentage of writers who are going to get to the point where they can make a living. Or a a full time income from their work, I think the, there's a reason why our the Facebook group is called Twenty Books to Fifty K. That's that means having twenty books out to get to a fifty thousand dollar salary. You know, there's not always professions. No, not at all, <laughs> and and
0: not for anything. It's also you have to qualify it because a book that makes you, you know, earn you know, the equivalent of a full-time job on a monthly basis, whatever, whatever your full-time job salary would be, your cap, what is $2,000, $4,000, $6,000, $10,000 a month, whatever. Um, Just because it's doing it one year doesn't mean that you're going to be earning that same, that same caliber of level in the following year. It's a, you know, we live at the, at the, the mercy of consumer whim. Mm -hmm. You know, because what what what's hot and trending now won't be exactly be hot and trending next year or the Mm -hmm. year after that. So you have to so rich and poor need to be qualified, you know, because I feel I am a rich person in the sense that I love every book that I have put out. You know, Mm -hmm. do I have do I like love some of them a little more than others? Do I have a little bit of favorites (laughs) in terms of ones that are nearer and dearer to my heart? Um, I do, Um, but that doesn't mean I love the other ones any less. Am I happy and proud that I have made readers happy? Do you know what have have when readers reach out to me and they tell me that they've loved this book or that they had to read the book with a box of tissues next to it? You know, i sorry I made them cry. Yeah. Am I sorry (laughs) that my books were reached them on such a visceral level? that, you know, that it, it evokes such a strong emotion. No, I'm happy. That yeah. makes me happy that they've done that, that the, my books have done that. So,
1: yeah. It's hard to say. I think where yeah. this comes into play is the myth of, you know, the starving artist that you must suffer for your art. And that's no. just not true. Authors no. deserve to be paid for their work. Point blank period, like no arguments there. I will hear nothing on it. Um, and on the other side, you know, some people think, well, oh, you published a book, therefore you must be rich. Like. The, the two don't equate to each other no. at all,
0: you know. And so. it's funny, I I I realized that when you know, I I have a a vast array of of books in my in my office and in boxes in my basement and on bookshelves in my in my basement. And you know, I have a finished basement, so it's not like they're stuffed away in a corner somewhere collecting dust. But mm-hmm. um, I have a book by Bonnie Vanek, and I have a book, I have a, a series of books by Kathy Clamp,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they were uh, Bonnie writes for Well, she did used to write for Harlequin. I don't know if she still does. And Kathy is a paranormal, romantic, paranormal romance. Remember author. Kathy. Yeah. And I remember seeing a post by Bonnie in Club Indie where she was looking for information, you know, on, on editors and that she would have to be able to talk to them at a different time when she wasn't at her day job and I remember Mm -hmm. it hit me then and then uh, you know and then I I ran into Kathy at a um an an event a a writer's event and we were talking about doing some kind of a a a reader like a a reader event at this Mm -hmm. convention that we were at and They were she was concerned about how expensive it was going to be, you know, because, you know, and also that she there was a day job involved. And I remember that's when it hit me in the face that these were women whose books I absolutely loved and had on my bookshelves mm-hmm. that I bought in bookstores, brick and mortar bookstores, Barnes and Noble. And and, still, yeah. and they still needed to have day jobs. Now, whether Absolutely. that's still the case now, I don't know. I, I'm not speaking to that. But at the time, that's what mm-hmm. it was. And I was just like, wow, stunned.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah stunned. It's, it's an eye opener. But I think this ties really well into number eight. So if you're a good writer, you'll always be succeed. You'll always be successful. This, I mean, it's, it's very much a myth, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And that's like what we supposed said right before, you know, just because, you know, a series or books that you write, you know, hit one year doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hit the next time. And you may have the first three books in your, in your six book series or your eight book series do very, very well. And then the rest of them kind of just fall off the cliff because people get, you know, readers get reader fatigue, you know, book, you know, series fatigue, and they don't want to read past book three or book four. And that's
1: why I think it's really important to define what your measure of success is, right? Because that's going to be a different bar for everybody. And if you're, if you're striving for something like, being the next Stephen King or Nora Roberts or whatever, like that level, then you have to realize also that that is a long journey. That is a marathon. You are not going to have that with one, 10, 20, 30, 40 south. These are people that have put out hundreds of books by this point to, to get to that level. And yes, there may be some success stories where you hear the, the one book or the debut author got the six figure advance and, and that's great. But that is very rare and far lightning strike. between. And I don't think that's something to strive for. If I don't, you know, you don't strive to win the lottery. No. <laughs> you strive to put out the best books you right. can and to connect with your, readers. I mean,
0: like, like we were talking about Stephanie Meyer before you mm-hmm. know? her book, her twilight series was that lightning strike. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, Erica, she hit the right time. You know, E.L. James is 20 50 Shades of Grey. That was a mm-hmm. lightning strike, you know, and it and both women, you know, are you know, they're commensurate writers, you know, they're they're so and they're amazing storytellers and mm-hmm. marketing friggin geniuses, you know, mm-hmm. so you know, it's uh, you know, they hit the trifecta, you know, of exactly. timing and and trend and uh. You know, having having a, a finger on the pulse of how to of how to to work that market. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you know? absolutely. All right. Next one. Number nine. This this is another fun one. Write what you know. Hmm. That's a tough one.
0: Yeah, that is a tough one because so I'm on the yes
1: and no fence again. Yeah, like, Me too. Yeah, Kind of. But I'll-. like I, for example, I have never met an alien to my knowledge. Yes. You know? <laughs> I can't say that uh, um I've I've reached that level of conspiracy theory where I I've, I've met a 7-foot alien warrior. Um but at the same time I I did a ton of research on the genre, you know, in a in a more serious way. Right. And I know that genre in and out now. Like I could give lectures on that genre. So when I when I write what I know, I definitely am am well versed in the genre. But on the flip side of that, what I don't know I, I believe you can write what you don't know, but you better do a lot of research, especially if you're writing like a minority character that's outside of your race or sexuality yeah. yep. or gender identity, et cetera. You, you better make sure that you've done your homework and that you're getting some sensitivity readers in there and that you're I really just addressing gonna say it that. properly. Yep. Yeah, because if if you don't know something, especially if it's real, if it has real world impact on actual people, then you need to do the proper research.
0: Right. I agree. Um, at the same time, um, I mean, because there are people who will, when it comes to diversity writing um, and diversity in books, that will will tell you 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 you're, you can't that if mm-hmm. you know that you can't write it. And I have been in groups where there's been discussion going on where authors who even deign to you know to, well to risk uh, mm-hmm. uh, saying. Well, shouldn't a writer be able to write whatever they whatever they want, provided they do it respectfully and they get the the sensitivity readers that mm-hmm. that, that we had discussed? Um, you know, could you do it? And I've watched them be eviscerated. You know, I think you I, can so write so whatever
1: I, you want, but I think there are some stories that are not yours to tell. Yes. I, so I agree. If, like you could you you could write it like uh, for. You know, you could write something that is somebody else's story. For example, I have, I think I've mentioned this before, I have a character in one of my books who I really want to write. He's a, a Black vampire who was turned in the 1800s, so at the time of slavery. So he experienced that in, in America, in this country. Um, and that would be a really amazing, visceral story to tell. But I'm I'm not a Black man who has the ancestral history of slavery and generational trauma. And I just... As much as I would love to tell his story, I just don't think it's my place to tell it. Right, and and that's where I think the line is. I think having right. him in my books as a full fledged character is very important, but telling that specific specific story that is is very much drenched in real world history is just not mine. Right. I mean, that's I, where I, I you think know, the line is.
0: So I I I I agree that there is mm-hmm. that there is a line and. Um, And I think when it comes to writing characters that are diverse, you have to make sure that you really, really school yourself so that you don't write the stereotype, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the other thing that is just completely wrong is that you don't Mm -hmm. write the stereotype. Um, But to say, you know, only write what you know, that would be like me saying I I could only write, you know, uh. You know, uh, people who are who were born and raised in New York of Italian descent. You know, <laughs> right. So exactly. what does that leave me? Mafia. I mean, it's like serious. You know, it's like you know the you know construction workers. You know, it's like, right. it's like it's the the Italian mama with the big wooden spoon. You know, yeah. It's like I know sauce so, on
1: Sundays. Yeah,
0: so we call
1: yeah, it no. gravy <laughs> <laughs> oh don't don't start with me on that oh my god that the gravy
0: versus sauce we could controversy. have a podcast
1: on sauce versus gravy <laughs> it Would have nothing to do with writing but it would be a great argument uh, okay <laughs> so let, me, let me skip that because we don't want to go there and uh number 10 the last one writers are introverts
0: i would have to say yes and no
1: yeah, with that, a lot of these are yes and
0: no, <laughs> you know, yes, there are a lot of writers who are introverts, introverts mm-hmm. to the point where the idea of going to a writer reader event just makes them break out in hives and hyperventilate.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: then there are people who are like Tina and I, who are <laughs> extroverted introverts. The you know, you make it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Who will, you know, can be bigger than life and bolder than life in our, you know, when we're, when we're quote unquote on at reader mm-hmm. events, because our characters are bigger than life and bolder than life. Right. Um, but then we go back to our rooms and we sob <laughs> on our beds. <laughs> curl up in a little ball on our beds and say, don't talk to me for an hour, you know, that type of a thing, because we have to recharge. Yeah. And that's why at the end of every reader-writer conference that I go to, like a convention, if it's like a four-day event, it takes me two weeks to recuperate yeah. after that, at, yeah. at a minimum.
1: <laughs> so. I think... This myth comes from the idea that like writing lends itself to an introverted personality because writers are in their head so much we're constantly thinking about story, whereas sometimes when people are talking to us we're just thinking about our books you know that that kind of a thing so it lends to the introvert personality, but I've certainly known extroverted writers. um, that are you know are actually larger than life. We're we're just kind of playing at the game of being larger than life, um, and who have huge personalities and and I you know admire them for that. But they are they are definitely extroverted people. So I don't think you have to be an introvert to be a writer.
0: No, I don't think you have to be an introvert to be a writer. I mean, I would qualify you and I as having larger than life personalities, because we're, oh, yeah. both, because we <laughs> we both have very strong opinions on things, mm-hmm. most of which we agree. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but there are, you know, I, I, and I, I think, um, you know, in that respect, you kind of need that little bit of ego, because that's mm-hmm. basically what it is, you need it in order to be able to Inter, in, you know to, to, to use an old word interface with readers you know to be able to right. interact with readers and so forth you have to right. have that level of confidence and even if it gets does get pushed to the max where it's like you fake it till you make it you know that mm-hmm. type of a thing um, that comes from someplace inside too yeah where that little kernel of extra extroverted um,
1: I think that the difference live. between like the, the real difference between an extrovert and an introvert is where we can be very extroverted and animated and and enjoy that time, like genuinely enjoy being on and interacting with readers. I think the difference is that's not where we get our energy from right after like afterwards, you said we have to go and recover. We have to be alone for a while. We can't talk to people because it's it's too much. Our energy is from being alone. We're an extrovert. Who goes into that situation will just get energized by that and thrive off of that and be like awesome afterwards. So I think that's it's where the energy is derived from more yeah. so than like maybe the personality If that. Makes
0: I sense. agree with that. I mean, there are times when I do feed off energy in, in a room where oh, there's a lot of people having a good time and I'm in the middle mm-hmm. of having a good time, especially if it's light and it's full of laughter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then you come back and you actually that kind of a a a, a interaction where it's just people are just excited and happy to be there and are laughing and just having a wonderful time, that kind of energy fills you because yeah. it's because it's not heavy, you know, but if you're in a room where this everybody's stressed and and, yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, having to do this and having to do that, you know, it's it's it, it it's wearing it's wearing, yeah. you know, it's like being in a room of energy vampires, you know, right. So. The best advice I
1: could give for someone who is truly introverted and a writer and wanting to interact with their readers like that and in a group setting is just to know your limits and know you know what you're going to be comfortable with and what you're not going to be comfortable with finding other people there who are who are introverted as well who maybe you know are a little bit quieter or are going to need that break from like the big energy type things and we'll go off and get a cup of coffee or tea with you like that's that's gonna make the difference in your experience. But I would say also don't be afraid to do it. I, you know, I've always been a little bit of a ham. So I've always had that, some of that energy, but I will say that being in front of, you know, a lecture hall as a professor or as a classroom teacher and especially being in front of teenagers, you kind of lose a little bit of that cause you have to, <laughs> you have to fake it till you make it at that point um, really yeah. helps me. So practicing, being in Zoom settings is really comfortable. So where you're in your house and you're in your safe space, but you're having to interact with people can push you to those limits. Because I, I do know that it, it's especially hard for, for introverts to be in that those big conferences.
0: I also think it's um, the more you do, the more you will become acclimated to it
1: yeah that's um that's
0: true. and you know so it, 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 it's not that it desensitizes you but it's like you know what to expect it becomes mm-hmm. a demon you know rather than a demon you don't and yeah. the only other advice i could add to tina's with that is that is practice your pitches your spiels mm. you know if somebody's asking you about especially if it's a book signing you know, if you have your book and, you know, it's it's right there in front of in front of the readers and they come by, you know, you have to you have to interact with them. You have right. to. What's your book you know, about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If somebody says, you know, you'd say, what do you like to read? And they say anything. And I, you know, is there anything here that's catching your eye that you would like me to tell you about? Have your pitch down. Have your spiel mm-hmm. down. You know, you have your five second, your 10 second, your 15 second. Know what you want to say so that it's you're not struggling yeah you're not you're not tripping over your words and you sound like you know well basically an idiot (laughs) you know (laughs) no I have had advice I've had to apologize for the you know when I I don't have it set in my head what I want to say about my books and I and I always turn around and say I'm so much better with the written word than the spoken please believe me (laughs) so and uh, you know making making light of it a little self-deprecation goes a long way you know
1: absolutely all right. Well, I think we tackled it. Top 10 writing myths now dispelled. If you have any more for us, make sure to leave them in the comments. We'd love to talk more about writing myths and make sure to tune in next week as we talk more on Bound by Books. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bound by Books podcast. For more information about the show and all of our hosts, visit our website at www.boundbybookspodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe
0: and leave a review.